Welcome to The Grove this morning. Uh, if we've never met, I'm James, and it's so cool of you to be here. Uh, we are uh, together as a church kind of walking through a series uh, using a book written by a woman named Jenny Allen, and it's called Nothing to Prove, uh, and just about our um, relationship to God and the way, I think, the, our spiritual lives and uh, the way that our mental and emotional lives kind of intertwine and affect each other. Uh, it's kind of a cool series for me. I don't think I could have uh, led a church through uh, something like this uh, until my late 30s now, almost whatever comes after 30s. But uh, there is uh, just um, some deep work that goes on in a person's life. And I have uh, interior life as you grow spiritually. And I've shared this uh, before leading into this series a few weeks ago. You know those DISC profiles? And there's D-I-S-C, and uh, C is conscientious, and I, I actually got a zero on my C. I have no, uh, on my perceived, like I project uh, that I do ha have the ability to be conscientious, but I actually don't. And uh, for a long time, I thought that was awesome. I was like, yes, I'm a jerk, but I'm owning it, right? And, uh, and then I learned I was a jerk, and, <laughs> and you don't have to be that way. And so this is for me, uh, this has been a long kind of journey, and this book has been able to, a couple of years at least, and this book has been able to put to words some of the things that uh, I've gone through, and it's really exciting for, you, for me to be able to share it with you. A lot of you are in life groups, or you've started uh, groups of people, and uh, we have a video series we can share with you, and uh, be able to, a lot of you are reading the book or listening to the book as well, and she's from Texas, so I really encourage listening to the book. Uh, just that southern accent just is so soothing and you'll just agree with, with anything she says. Like, yes, yes. Uh, so it is great. What I find myself doing, because in this series we're walking through stories in the Gospel of John and Jesus' interactions with people, and it's frustrating because last week we did the uh, Jesus, John 2, Jesus turns water to wine, and I'm like, this is my favorite Bible story uh, because Jesus breaks all the rules and I love breaking rules. And, uh, and he does it for goodness sake, not for, like, not for evil intent. And then we get to John 4, and this is one of my favorite stories as well. And so it's really difficult for me every single week to be preaching what is my new favorite story uh, in the scripture. And I'm sure you'll hear the same thing next week. Next week will be my new favorite scripture. But John 4 is a uh, story that happens in Jesus' life. Jesus has began his ministry, and we're going to hit it. Uh, we're going to ignore the beginning of John 4 and kind of hit it in the middle of the story. Uh, but Jesus is beginning his ministry, and the, um, there's kind of uh, people who are observing religion that's happening, and there's this guy named John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, who's doing baptisms out in the wilderness, and he actually baptized Jesus, and then Jesus is doing baptisms as well. Uh, he isn't personally, but his disciples are. And they begin to like keep score and compare and contrast and try to build competition between ministries. And Jesus has no interest in competition between ministries or churches or anything like that. And so Jesus actually just closes up shop and leaves. He goes to another town. Uh, and when he goes to the, what he's trying to do is go from the, the north uh, of Israel down to the south of Israel. But to get there, you have to walk through an area called Samaria. Now, Samaria uh, is a, uh, this area of their country that Jews were uh, ardently racist against. And I know that might be offensive to people that lived 2,000 years ago, 
but they would use derogatory terms to refer to people who lived in Samaria. There was actually a, a highway that went around. You went across uh, on your way. It'd be across the river, down the other side of the river, and then back across so you wouldn't have to walk through Samaria. Uh, that's like they were uh, willing to put energy into their racism. And uh, I'm not commending them for that. I'm shaming them for that. Uh, Jesus, uh, as a person who struggles with being racist because it's a sin, actually walks south right through Samaria. And when Jesus walks and when Jesus does anything he does, uh, he has a certain inner confidence. And if you read the stories of Jesus or you pay attention to what he's doing, he seems to have a self-assurance that comes from a deep place or, or a place outside of himself. He gains his identity through what God says about him, not what the world around him says about him, which I think is a really difficult thing to do. Uh, it, like it seems like, oh yeah, we should do that. Be who God says we are, not what the world around us or the people around us says. But that's really difficult because you're bombarded with messages, and so it's difficult to remember and focus on who God says you are. And so Jesus is walking through Samaria, and he's very self-assured and knows who he is, and he understands the love that God has for the Samaritan people. His disciples, not so much. Uh, his disciples were overachievers in the religious sense. If there was uh, realism to be had or like religious fervor to be had, they thought that was the direction to go. And so his disciples um, were much like me and you. They are following Jesus, but they tended to mess the story up. The unfortunate thing for them, we always think it'd be awesome to be a disciple, see Jesus right there, but their screw-ups are recorded in the Bible, and we talk about their screw-ups for generations. We will forget about your screw-ups after a while because they're severe, but I'm just kidding. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, it's a longer story, and we're going to skip a chunk of theology in the middle where Jesus teaches some things that uh, are important, but we're going to be outside of what we talk about this morning. So it'll be on here if you have a Bible. This is uh, a translation called an NIV, and, uh, or if you're using your app on your phone, like me. Now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus. Now, so he came to a town in Samaria called uh, Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph which are Old Testament characters that uh, heritage people that everybody would know, like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Bible tells you straight up, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus speaks a bunch of philosophical nonsense. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? They're in the middle of a desert. Jesus is offering living water. She has no he has no bucket and no rope. Uh, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, and again he'll confuse the woman, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep having to come out here to draw water. Right? Moms, you're responding this way. 
Duh. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Things take a turn. (laughs) Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And so she has a question. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is down south in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, which is not as affrontive as it is in our culture. This is how Jesus often began his conversations with women. Woman, uh, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So in heart and in, like, proper. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes... He will explain everything to us. So she's basically saying, I don't understand what you're saying. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned with a bunch of food from the village and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town. A lot of people came out of the town and made their way towards him. And we're going to skip forward to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony which is a Bible word for the story that she told. He told me everything I ever did, is the theme of the story. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer just believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. It's this... Uh, part of the reason I love this story is because Jesus just happens to be walking to where he's trying to get to. And he just happens to be tired, which is kind of a fantastic moment because it theologically proves the humanity of Jesus, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus actually got tired from walking too far, right? He sits down by the well and a woman comes out at noon. Culturally, the wives and mothers in their culture would come out to get water for the day And still in that land, you come out to the well in the morning. And so a lot of people infer a reasoning for this woman coming out later on in the day. And they infer that she didn't want to be around the other people from her town. Because in their culture, divorce is not a thing that happens. And any kind of relationship, a sexual relationship outside of marriage is considered adultery. Even if you're not married, it's adultery against the person that you will marry. And so what she does is 
an, an, an extreme level of shame in their culture. A high level of ostracizing, ostracizing would be going on in her life. People would not want to be around her, and she would feel shame when she was around other people. And so she comes out to get her water after everybody else is gone. And Jesus knows who this woman is. There's some kind of divine relationship that Jesus has where he knows the truth about this woman, that she's had five husbands, and now she has a live-in boyfriend. And he tells her, go get your husband. And he, I love that conversation. Well, first, I love that Jesus is talking to the woman because there's multiple reasons why he shouldn't. He shouldn't be talking to a woman that he's not married to because culturally that wasn't appropriate. He shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan because all his buddies are racist against Samaritans. He shouldn't be talking to this woman in particular because she was the town get-around girl. And <laughs> this is what the disciples would have been thinking. But Jesus goes directly to these people. Jesus sits down knowing who she is, knowing the inappropriateness of what Jesus is doing. He sits down and has a conversation with her and decides she will be the first person from Samaria that he decides to tell that he is the Messiah. If you were here on Easter, which everyone was, <laughs> Jesus chose, I talked about this, that Jesus chose women, a woman, Mary Magdalene, to be the first one who knew about his resurrection. And now in this story, Jesus chooses the Samaritan woman to be the first person in Samaria who knows that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has very little need or use for the power systems and power structures that we build, which is a bit frustrating for those of us who are working to build power systems and power structures, and amazingly good news for those of us who fail to function in those. Like some of you would identify with this woman because of her failings and the shame that she probably feels because you have those things yourself. You have a past or a history that may be known or maybe hidden that you're terrified to be identified by, like this is who you are. And Jesus walks to those people and says, you are the most appropriate person to be the first to hear the good news. So Jesus goes up to this woman who he should be against for multiple reasons, and he sits down and has a deep philosophical religious, spiritual conversation with her and she responds with honesty. Like he doesn't, I love that he doesn't condemn her. He says, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. He gives her a chance to share her truth with him instead of condemning her right away. And a lot of times, I think we're better, me, it, it, we're a lot better at telling people what their sin is than asking them to share their lives with us. Do you know what I'm saying? Sin is easy to point at. Uh, all of us have had our sins pointed at. It's much more difficult to walk beside someone who is living, this woman would be living a pattern of sin, and say, I'm going to be with you. And whether you change your life or don't change your life, I'm going to be with you. That's hard, isn't it? And like it's, as if you're a parent and you've seen your kid walk in this path, uh, or if you're married and you've seen your spouse walk in this path, or you're just in a relationship with someone that you love and you care about, 
and you see them taking steps that are harmful to themselves or people around them, and you say, I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not going to abandon you. We're going to be together. And so Jesus moves towards this woman relationally and spiritually and physically, sits down next to her and has a conversation. So the disciples come back, and if you have a translation of the Bible called The Message, it's kind of a paraphrase, and it's a pastor named Eugene Peterson that kind of throws in some fun details. And he says, the disciples didn't say anything to the woman, but through their looks, they made, they made sure she knew what they thought. <laughs> the disciples come back, and they notice immediately the shame that is going on. Jesus is talking to a woman he's not married to, they should be racist against, who has a reputation in this village. And how they knew, I don't, I don't really understand. Jesus, I get, divine thing going on. I don't think she's dressed especially racy. They're in a desert, they don't have sunscreen, right? <laughs> and so I, I would have to think that when they went into town and they had a conversation with someone, they said, we need some extra food to bring to our rabbi who's at the well. And they say, oh, she's at the well right now. This woman is at the well you need to look out for. Like, in my mind, and this isn't the Bible, this is in my mind, there's got to be some way that the disciples knew that they should feel a certain way about that woman, about that woman. And so there had to have been someone who was willing to gossip about that woman for the benefit of the disciples so they could join in the shaming of that woman. Now, the problem with that sentence is gossip for the benefit of, right? That's the thing you should be going, what? <laughs> That's heresy. There is no benefit in gossip. So they go back. They make this woman. You should write that down. I'm like saying things you need to write down. Y'all ain't getting out your phones. All right. <laughs> when someone starts gossiping with you, say, wait, is this for my benefit? No, it isn't, because definitionally, it, there is no benefit to gossip. All right. <laughs> so that's an aside. They come back to the well. They make the woman feel uh, bad enough that she leaves without her water jug. Like She came out there to get water for her and her live-in boyfriend, and maybe she has children. She forgets it, goes back into town, and she goes and tells them all about Jesus. Now, who is she telling all about Jesus? The people who were just gossiping about her, who are shaming her, who she doesn't feel comfortable around. The people who have every reason to judge her, who know her story. I mean, if there is pain in your life, it's having a story that involves your own screw-ups, your own mistakes, your own mess-ups, and having to go to the people who know them the best and just owning them and saying, this guy told me everything about my life. You should maybe get to know this guy. Because the people would hear say, yeah, we know everything about your life. Do you, see, do you see that? She goes to the very people who it would hurt the most to talk to. The vulnerability that she leaps into is the most dangerous way to live emotionally. Uh, I think spiritually. But it, it's dangerous in the sense that when she jumps into it, I feel like the stage is going to fall over. Do you guys hear that? All right. So we're going to stay still. Good night. The vulnerability that she jumps into, the risk is that they would say to her, how could we ever listen to you? 
and to begin to list off her past offenses. And some of you have had this experience where your past offenses are brought up in a way to pour shame onto you. And, and they may be real. Like they might be like, yeah, I, this is real. I did these things and your past offenses are brought up and they're poured onto you in order to shame you, in order to pull you away from healing, and I think in order to control you and control a situation. And the woman walks right into that. The chapter in the book this week, in the Nothing to Prove book, talks about moving, and, and the videos, if you're in a small group, talk about moving from loneliness to connectedness. Moving from uh, being alone to being with. And what Jenny Allen talks about is the step from being alone to being with is this dangerous step of vulnerability. We're living in a time right now like where we are more connected than ever before, right? You, you can follow me on Snapchat and know what I'm doing, and you'll see me fumbling with my phone and not understanding why it's taking a selfie instead of video in the other way. That's what I do on Snapchat. Uh, but you can follow a person on Facebook, and Instagram, and LinkedIn. I don't understand why you send me those requests, but you can follow a person on uh, WhatsApp, and there are like uh, other language versions of social medias that you can get on as well and not understand what's going on, but it's a lot of fun. But you can know exactly what everybody's doing all the time. The problem with those is you don't actually know me. You know a me that I present to you. I have yet to, when I lose my cool and raise my voice and my kids go, we need to videotape this, right? Hey, check this out. I'm using bad words in front of my kids accidentally, right? Like, I don't see, and, and even the people who do that are, you're like, hey, we're, and I do this. I'm, I'm doing something real, but it's a staged real thing because I'm controlling how real it is, right? I'm not allowing you to see my inner doubts or see my inner self, or, you, does that make sense? And, and so you go to a, a party with your friends, and you have nothing to talk about, because normally you would present the highlights from your life, but you've already presented them on Facebook, so everybody already knows everything, so you just pull out your phones, because that's what you're most comfortable doing, <laughs> and Snapchat the event so that people know that they're not at the event that you're at. That's the only reason I use Snapchat. I'm at somewhere awesome, and I want you to feel jealous of me. And, and that's why I never Snapchat. I'm never anywhere awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm at home. I'm at my kid's soccer practice. <laughs> All right. When we think that we're connected that way, what we're actually connected to is an invulnerable self connected to an invulnerable someone else. And let me, I'm going to push a little further. When there is someone who is unnecessarily vulnerable, we tend to uh, not want that in our social media. Does that make sense? When someone overshares or um, TMIs the whole thing, we've found there's a hide button and we can get rid of that, right? And be like, that person, you know, I didn't need those pictures of that operation. All right, let's get rid of that, all right? <laughs> so we're connected an unvulnerable self to an unvulnerable other. And the connection we have is completely undangerous. And completely, so then, completely false. 
And I don't, I'm not a guy who's going to blame social media. I think it's hilarious. It's a ton of fun. It's a great way to let people know your politics in a way that they will hide you. But, <laughs> but when, because uh, I don't think social media has invented that. I think it's just helped us perfect it or master it. Because we, for a long time, have had an unvulnerable self that we've connected to other unvulnerable people and had relationships that aren't dangerous. That is what makes us feel lonely. And you can have a billion friends on your social media and loneliness in our culture, the expressed feeling of loneliness, are at all-time highs. I feel isolated. I feel alone. And that's because you've got an, an, a safe self with a safe other, and there's no danger in that relationship. So Jesus talks to the woman, which is a dangerous relationship for Jesus to have, and she walks immediately back into her village and talks to the people who have the most reason to reject her, which is an incredibly dangerous relationship. And then the people all come out to talk to Jesus, which is another dangerous relationship. The reason that all these people are suddenly connected forever, and there's some biblical scholars who think this village actually shows up later in the book of Acts uh, because they're followers of Jesus but haven't learned about the Holy Spirit. It's really kind of an exciting connection that happens. But the, the reason that these people are suddenly connected is because they've stepped over a boundary that exists socially or culturally or emotionally. They've stepped over a boundary and developed a relationship that they shouldn't have just according to the common knowledge of the day. Some of you have those relationships. You have relationships with people who vote differently than you. You have relationships with people who think about Jesus differently than you. You have <laughs> And that's with followers of Jesus and not people who aren't followers of Jesus. You have people that... Uh, do things in their life or raise their kids differently than you do. Their consequences and their rewards or their educational goals or their educational system is different than yours. And sometimes there's a temptation to keep those relationships safe. And what happens is you've always got a border or a boundary in those relationships to say, we're going to keep safe. And what it takes is someone to go first and go over that boundary and admit some faults and be vulnerable and take a risk that's dangerous in order to take those relationships to a place where you're actually connected and no longer lonely. Having relationships with people who you can um, be honest with actually connects you to those other people. But what I'm talking about, like what... I would love to do is give you three steps to this, but the real, like the three steps to feeling connected, the real step to connection is stepping over a boundary of safety into something that's vulnerable. Into a secret that you hold that's scary for the other person to find out. And I don't, like, I, I don't think they're all as scary as they I think we perceive them to be much more scary than they are. Because the people who sometimes we're able to share it with open up a place of safety for us 
that actually brings us forward in ourselves and forward in our relationships that we never knew existed before. This obviously is um, something that takes a little bit of emotional skill. There's this thing like IQ, there's an EQ, emotional intelligence. That would be EI then, so that's how little emotional intelligence I have. But when you are moving into, like I don't, I'm not going to get up here and share with a large crowd um, a random secret that I have. I do sometimes, and, and some of you shame me, and then I put that away. <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, it's actually, a few weeks ago I shared a lot. I took a Sunday and shared a lot about my own personal journey in this, and I got quite a few emails and text messages and phone calls and just personal people saying, that really helped me. I'm feeling I've had that same experience. I'm moving in that same direction. Or that really helped me to know that you're willing to be that honest and it's going to help me be honest with the people around me. When you take the steps into danger, I think you actually become a leader relationally and emotionally and spiritually in your community. And I think you experience what it is to know Christ. Because when I look at Jesus' life, I see Jesus stepping over boundaries into dangerous areas. And if you want to know Jesus, go where Jesus went. Don't just do the things that Jesus said that you like or that you approve of, but do the things that Jesus said. And Jesus went to a person racially that he shouldn't have. He went to a person um, as far as conventional uh, conventional relationships in their culture go, like he talked to a woman when they wasn't married to when he shouldn't have. And I'm not saying that you should do that. What I'm saying is there's a boundary there and he stepped over. He went to a person whose reputation was such that a person of Jesus' reputation should not be talking to her. And then he followed up in that relationship. It wasn't just like a one-time thing. It wasn't just like, oh, I talked to a person that was a different social class than me. It was, I developed a relationship, they invited me to stay for two days, so I did. It, Jesus steps over these boundaries, and if you want to be a follower of Jesus, what he's saying is, where are your boundaries, and how do we go right past them? It's the part of following Jesus that you like the least, Right? Because the reason that we have boundaries is because it's awesome to be on this side of the boundaries. I have boundaries, you have boundaries. It's why we didn't hug this morning when you came to church. Right? I like my side of the boundaries. Some of you like the other side. And we go over there sometimes. And then we come back. <laughs> but <laughs> every time I go across that boundary, y'all ain't hugging me. Like, Kobe has a soccer game ready for church, so I'm like saying the blessing and I'm leaving. And I'm partly leaving because a bunch of you are going to try to hug me after I say this. <laughs> every, every single time that a person shows affection towards me, it feels good. Every, every, every single time. Even though it's like awkward because their arms are around me and I'm a tall person so their head is here. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> All people are amen in that. You know what I'm saying, right? 
every single time that someone is willing to push me into their comfort zone and be willing to say, we're together and I have affection for you, every single time it feels good. Every single time you walk away going, that person likes me, cares about me, is willing to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable so that I'll grow. Because apparently emotionally healthy people have physical connections. <laughs> That's actually true. <laughs> in the Bible. It really, really is. Four times in the New Testament, it's commanded. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Also why I'm leaving right after church. <laughs> it's my go-to. Anytime someone wants to argue theology with me, I, they have to kiss me first. And then I'll talk about anything, but we've got to go there first. It's a good rule. Y'all laughing. It's a good rule. I really, uh, and, and here's, here's why I'm willing to laugh about this, all right? Because it's terrifying, and when you go across your boundary, you find yourself living where Jesus wants to live in your life, and there's no better place that you could possibly be. The joy that exists just past your boundary, the love that exists just past your boundary, the opportunities, the experience of Christ that lives just on the other side of your boundary is beautiful. It's beyond anything you're experiencing on this side. In the story, there are several disciples who don't experience what Jesus is experiencing because they're trying to live inside a boundary. They go into town to get the food, but then they come back out of town because we're going to consume from this relationship with the Samaritans, but not interact with the Samaritans. And they come back in such a way that it forces the woman to actually leave. You can have an experience in your life that's like the disciples, and you will only feel connected superficially to the people who are just like you. The people who uh, like you are hiding the things that they're struggling with. Or you can have a relationship, a real-life relationship with the people around you and with your God just past where you feel safe. It would be, uh, I, I think it's okay to smile about it because once you walk across it, it's the greatest thing you'll ever experience. As long as you're holding back, what you're actually holding back is holding back from a great experience that exists just on the other side. Uh, and so I want to call you to that. In your uh, bulletin, there's a couple of like ideas under what's called next steps. And I actually want you to like check them out. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing some songs. You can grab your bulletin. Don't recycle it. That tree is dead and gave its life for you. <laughs> Throw your bulletin in your pocket and take it home. And there's a couple of next steps that involve like spending time with Jesus, uh, maybe in a way that you never had before. Like set a stopwatch and pray for 30 minutes. That's way beyond where you feel, like some of us feel comfortable. Like you're going to pray for about 30 seconds and then you don't know what else to talk about. Try just shutting up and let Jesus do the talking. Like in most relationships, at some point you shut up and let the other person talk. That's crass. At some point you stop talking and let the other person talk. Try having that relationship with Jesus. Uh, try building those things in. If you've got little kids, you might need to talk to your spouse 
or if you're a, a single parent, talk to someone who you're friends with or something and say, hey, and this is vulnerable, I need to spend 30 minutes with Jesus, I need someone to watch my kids, will you? Anybody who says no to that hates Jesus, right? And so you may like, they say, no, I can't. Oh, you hate Jesus, right? Like push into that a little, all right? Don't be afraid. But I, I really want to, like I don't want this to be a moment where we say, yeah, across my, my safety boundaries is a really cool place. I want you to come back next week and everybody's smiling because of the awkwardness that you experienced moving across your safety places, moving across your boundaries of safeness, of keeping connection superficial, and you come back with these awkward smiles because like all these people have been coming by your house and hugging you all week. Don't do that either. <laughs> but find out what it would mean for you to take a step like Jesus took. And then find out the joy of God that is this just across that boundary. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and then we're going to worship. And I'll give a blessing and we'll go. Jesus, we are so thankful for the way that you are willing to move towards us. Because many of us exist across a boundary of social norms or safety or just religious norms in our culture. There's a lot of us in this room, and that's why we're a part of this church, who need a little more of your grace and your forgiveness than the average person. And so together we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for this woman at the well. For some of us, this, she's a patron saint because we have made a pattern of taking wrong turns in our own life or messing things up in our own life. And yet you continue to go back to us and you continue to not condemn us but just ask us questions what will lead us to the truth which will lead us to loving you so we're going to worship together lord and some of us are going to worship a little more than others because our experience is such that god you've made these words extra true in our life and you have taken us through things that are deeper than we ever thought we would walk through and or rougher patches than we ever thought that we would experience. And so, God, may you receive our worship today because you deserve it, because you earned it, and we've done nothing to deserve the grace that you've given us, and yet we are grateful recipients of it. Hear our voices, Lord. May our worship of you be a step past the boundaries of safety that we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.